Hey everyone, this is Natalie Ivey, and in today's show, I'm going to discuss best practices and note-taking while conducting investigative interviews and best practices in case management documentation. So stay tuned. Welcome to the HR Investigations Podcast, exploring the issues, challenges, strategies, and solutions. Sponsored by RPCHR and hosted by Natalie Ivey, an HR consultant, licensed PI, and author of the best-selling book, How to Conduct Internal Investigations, a Practical Guide for Human Resource Professionals. And now, here's Natalie. And welcome everybody to today's podcast, note-taking and documentation for investigative interviews. So I chose uh, this topic for today's podcast because I've had a lot of conversations recently with HR and employee relations professionals about exactly this subject matter. So the kinds of questions that I get is, Natalie, I'm just not really sure how I'm supposed to be taking notes. Um, I've always kind of done it on a legal pad, but I've begun to realize that maybe that's a little bit harder. I should maybe use a laptop. And then also, should I record the interview? Should I not record? Um, should I have someone sign it? And so anyway, there's generally these kinds of questions. So let's get started. Let's first talk about notepad versus keyboarding when you're conducting an investigative interview. Well, the notepad is certainly easy. Uh, it's more informal. And, you know, there are a lot of investigators that they follow this sort of tried and true method. This particular investigator, I'm not a fan. Uh, let me tell you what. Number one, with my skills, um, I am very, very good at keyboarding, and I can really uh, talk just about as quickly as someone can type. So for me, it is much, much more efficient for me to use a laptop. But it does require setting expectations in the beginning of an investigative interview. So when I'm sitting down with someone, I'm going to set expectations clearly. Look, we're going to be together for maybe an hour, hour and a half. I am going to be taking notes. I might have to interrupt you periodically. So please understand it's just to make sure I'm capturing things accurately. All right. So as long as you set expectations like that, it's it's a process that, again, many investigators will uh, use and very successfully. Um, the other thing is your accuracy will be significantly greater. Uh, I teach writing clinics with, um, you know, various organizations such as, you know, ethics teams and HR and employee relations teams and um, intake officers and help them in improving their writing and really their accuracy in capturing uh, all of the details when an interviewee is sharing, you know, what they have to contribute to a case. When I've done clinics with those who keyboard versus those who are using a notepad, the accuracy is so, so much greater. Uh, you know, it's, I don't really have a scientific or kind of a statistic to share with you, but what I can tell you is just from my experience, those that um, have to transcribe from the notepad, it takes them twice to three times as long. They struggle in being able to read their notes, and they also have a really hard time being able to get that task completed uh, sometimes it takes them even upwards of more than an hour. Uh, it shouldn't. If you're keyboarding your notes, you should be able to very quickly at the conclusion of the interview, cut, paste, edit, and go through your notes and uh, move things around and then pull together a summary of the conversation. That's really what you should be able to do. And I could do it in uh, generally about 30 minutes, uh, sometimes even as um, as little as 15 or 20, if it was a relatively brief uh, type of interview. My pick is keyboarding your responses. 
Now, um, if you really are only meeting with uh, a person who is um, you're going to speak to them for maybe five or 10 minutes and you really don't have an extensive amount of questions that you have to ask them, you may only have two or three things you may have to ask them. And maybe going the more informal route is better than fine. I would say nothing wrong with using a legal pad. Um, But I do caution you on this. If you are going to be taking notes and conducting an interview, regardless of whether you are keeping notes on uh, Notepad or if you have a Microsoft Word document, you've been keyboarding your responses. I do strongly encourage you at the conclusion of the interview, you block time on your calendar for at least 45 minutes to do an appropriate download and kind of synthesize the information that you just learned. What you don't want to do as an investigator is go from one interview to another, to another, to another, and then come back to your notes at the end of the day. Uh, if you do that, it will be like the cold case files. <laughs> I assure you, you will not know what in the heck it is that you wrote at 830 in the morning. All right. So formal statements versus document of conversation. Each organization approaches the document process, uh, documentation process a bit differently. In my experience, though, formal written statements are utilized more in the government sector, large utilities like telecommunications and also work environments where there are labor unions that are present. Uh, those are uh, environments that you tend to have much more formal processes for investigative work. Now, the pros of using formal written statements is it really locks into a type document what the interviewee said, and the interviewee then acknowledges with a signature that this is exactly what they said. What that does is it really locks in what they said. And later, if the story changes, well, now, wait a minute, that's not what you said three days ago when you gave us your statement. The other thing that you also will want to do if you are preparing formal statements is present it for a signature. And also, I would recommend having the interviewee initial each sing- each one of the pages in the top right corner. Uh, for those of you that have labor unions, this will be particularly important because if you wound up later in an arbitration, you could very well have a union member say, oh, well, you changed page three. No, we didn't change page three, but they might allege that. And if the initial is in there, well, then that takes, you know, the mystery out of it. <laughs> there is no uh, changing of the statement. You acknowledged it on this date and this time, and you acknowledge that the statement had five pages. Okay. Now, a lot of organizations over the last 10 years or so, because of the increasing volume of employee relations issues and investigations, they've had to relax some of the formalized processes that they've had, you know, previously. So what I'm finding is um, it's really now shifting to more of documents of conversation. So what does that mean? It means that you're really not preparing a formal statement that is in first person language that you essentially collaborate with an interviewee to prepare. And then at the conclusion of your interview, you take about 15 minutes to pull it together into a workable summary, if you will, of their statement. You print it out, let them sign it, and then they acknowledge it with a signature and you acknowledge with a signature. So that's a formal written statement. Documents of conversation, um, what happens in that type of document is you have a list of questions and you would have those prepared before you get into the interview. And then throughout this interview, could be an hour, two hours, depending on how long it takes, of questions, then answer, questions, then answer. Some organizations will simply just save the questions and the answers. And then in the investigation report, the investigator will just prepare a couple of paragraphs that summarizes what they learned in those Q's and A's. And then nothing is actually given to that interviewee to sign. They don't review anything and they don't sign anything. So I I don't really like that process. Um, I prefer to have the questions and the answers 
but then take about 25, 30 minutes to pull it together in a summary, which is a document of the conversation. So I am summarizing what it is that I learned from this particular interviewee. Now, um, as a private investigator, it depends on the client I'm working with. Some will require that I get an interviewee to sign off on the document of that conversation. Others, they don't get signatures. And some just, uh, it's logistically not even feasible. You're not even co-located with the person to be able to get their signature. So every organization does that a bit differently. Uh, attorneys will tell you that they do like signatures on a document of conversation or formal statement. Um, however, there are other attorneys that are really opposed to that. They don't want the process to seem so formal because if so, then in some organizations, depending on culture, it could cause people to be fearful that the process is so formal that they may not necessarily come forward to raise allegations. All right. So there are a variety of different ways, you know, that, uh, that this is done. There's not really a right or a wrong. But if you are preparing formal statements, the things that get included in a formal statement, certainly the date, a case number, if you have uh, a case management solution software, if not, then you want to include a good naming protocol, which could be perhaps the date and then the last name of the individual that you interviewed, and perhaps a keyword, something else. It could be, let's say, sexual harassment. And those are keywords that you add into the case number. And then certainly the employee's name, their title, who their supervisor is, you know, the date of the incident others that are involved, witness names, first and last name, and certainly an accounting of the incident or the event and the specific facts. And then um, you would want to indicate perhaps what policies may have even been violated um, and being really clear regarding what this person's allegations are, if it is indeed uh, the complainant. Some tips for actually writing the formal statement. So if you're going to go the more formal route, as I said, a lot of government telecommunications and businesses that do have labor unions, uh, use the formal process. You want to really prepare a template and follow a structure to your formal statement and so that it's done the same every single time. And then you want to have this procedure where at the end of the interview, you take about 15 to 20 minutes and you pull together, um, you know, all of the summary of what was just discussed. And the best practice would be to obtain a signature. Now, sometimes people don't want to sign, so you need to be re- really prepared for what happens if they refuse to sign it. So there should be something uh, written there, like um, you know, if they are reluctant to sign, uh, maybe legal could give you uh, a phrase or something to put at the bottom, not disputing the accuracy of, you know, the content of, you know, the statement. However, I just simply declined to sign, you know, something like that. Now, in documenting conversations, uh, you certainly want to follow an interview template of questions. And you ask a question, get an answer, ask another question, get an answer. And then before you conclude the interview, you just go back and summarize uh, what it was that you learned from that interviewee. And as I said previously, you either will or won't get a signature on the document of that conversation. What I would not do, however, is put across the desk to someone the list of all of the questions you asked and their answers and have them sign it. No, you don't want to do that. That's somewhat giving away a bit of the playbook that an investigator works with uh, that has a really solid template of your questions. You would not want to turn that over because if they are perhaps entitled to quote a copy of their statement, if that is the, the way you do a statement, then they could very well take all of your interview questions and then share that with others that you're about to interview. So you definitely do not want your template of questions to go. Um, you know, you don't want that out the door. So that's why a good best practice is to make sure that you're really preparing a document of conversation 
pulling it together in a bit of a summary, or you're pulling together a formal report and then having them sign it. The other thing that you want to do after the interview is over. So let's say you've pulled together the document of the conversation. You want to summarize it, allow that individual to read through it. Um, just make sure I've captured everything accurately. Now, sometimes what can happen is um, an interviewee, perhaps even maybe a subject of an investigation. So the person who's been accused of some wrongdoing, sometimes they don't like what is in the statement. They'll say, well, that's not what I said. Well, if you have another witness in the room with you, and you should if it's the subject, you always interview in pairs when you interview a subject. I would never do that alone. The other person heard what you heard, but now the person wants to change their story. What I would do is not edit it out. What I would say is, well, let's do an amendment uh, to your statement and allow it to continue on. Right? They say, no, I want you to take it out and say, well, no, I'm not going to take that out because that is exactly what you did say. Uh, we both heard you say it. Uh, but if you want to uh, retract this, then go ahead and document it right here that you're going to retract it. Or I will make notes that you have retracted what you previously said. All right. Something like that, because that can be very telling, especially when you're interviewing a subject. So I don't allow them to completely edit that out. If that is what they said, then that's what stays in the statement. The other things you want to look for at the conclusion of the interview certainly is um, anything that really changed. Uh, did you hear in the beginning a completely different outcome, let's say? So you started the interview and then the outcome of the interview is, wow, we started out in Kansas City and wound up in Cincinnati. <laughs> so, And what I mean by that is that sometimes what they said at the beginning of the interview, they've completely contradicted at the end. So if you did see that with some inconsistencies, then those are definitely some things that you should document in what are called case notes. This is not what goes into uh, the summary of the conversation you just had with this person you interviewed. But in your case notes, you do want to jot down your own investigator's observations, case notes, um, noticing if uh, this person's story really did change, particularly things like dates and times or key details. And when you've seen that things really change drastically from uh, the beginning of the interview to the end, if the person demonstrated some aggressive behavior or if there was any unusual you know, behavior, uh, maybe extremely defensive or they were really, really emotional, right? Things like that. Um, you definitely want to document that in your case notes, because the members of a management team that will have to make decisions based on the outcome of the investigation haven't had the benefit of being in the room with that person that you just interviewed. So those types of case notes are very important. So in summary here, um, make sure you establish a consistent process in your organization and have all your investigators trained on the documentation process. Have some templates, follow a consistent process, and then also I recommend when you're hiring investigators to work on your team, whether you're in HR, employee relations, corporate ethics, or compliance, I would recommend you put them through a mock scenario of intake, perhaps in a complainant intake scenario. See how effective they are at note-taking and ask them to prepare a summary. This will definitely tell you what is their skill level in really being able to actively listen and process the information and then capture it accurately. Okay, so that's it for today's episode. See you next time on the HR Investigations Podcast. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Investigations Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, and share the show with any colleagues who will benefit from our strategies and solutions. 
For free bonus resources, simply visit hr-investigations.com. And remember, if you'd like some help with improving your investigative skills, or if your organization is in need of an external investigator to help with the case, please get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.